Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 577 of Longbox Heroes. Todd and Joe here. Todd, my lip lad, how are we doing today? I'm doing fine. I was nervous. I had to turn my mute on off again. So, but I'm ready to go. My lip is doing good. Ready to talk some comics. It really took everything in my power not to repeatedly hit my mute button while I was talking there and swear at the same time. Just oh, so you know. Well, you are a mute swearer. Mm. I wish I could edit things in a way where it makes it seem like we're swearing when we're not actually swearing. Right. But I have, uh, a, I have a ringtone maker I can lend you. That's true. But the slipshod edit job that I do on this show uh, already takes up so much of my time. Right. I hate your slipshot uh, editing, but um, the only fi- the only way to fix it is to have me do it. And that's not an option. Right. So. Of course. Uh, so we got a full show today. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, in the news, we have a follow up. From a delayed comic from a recently passed creator. Uh, Delays even further on some of your favorite Disney Marvel films. Updates from both Diamond and Penguin in regards to uh, things that they've recently purchased. One of them is bubble wrap. (laughs) The other is a... Is, is something that isn't real, so, but go ahead. Right. <laughs> uh, conventions this weekend and how it directly affects this show. Uh, digital sales, what we read this past week, which is Immortal Hulk number 50, and Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton number 5, what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Todd's Art Attack is back. Maybe I'll remember Pigskin Pickums this week, who knows. Right. Uh, Todd and Joe have issues talking about the spider clone saga and jonah hex and a jammed up tv section talking about uh star girl why the last man and the return of legends of tomorrow it's wig o'clock baby it certainly is if only they made wigs big enough to fit my giant bulbous head i would wear a wig in support of uh, our favorite tv show can't you have your wife uh sew two wigs together Nah, she's too busy making uh, my kid's Halloween costume. That takes precedence over uh, anything I'm doing, you know? Okay, okay. To sit here wearing a wig while I do an audio-only podcast, you know? (laughs) Oh, that would be funny, but... Right. So, just to follow up uh, from a story from last week, we were uh, talking about a Batman-Catwoman special... Uh, written by Tom King with art by Jean-Paul Leone, who passed away over the summer. Um, the book was being pushed back and pushed back. And we were wondering if this was going to be something that actually comes out or if they were going to include it in some sort of big uh, tribute issue to Leone or whatever it was. Well, the January solicitations came out and it's going to be there. So it's a Christmas special in January. I mean, I, you know, I get the reasoning. Um, exactly. But hopefully, you know, they can add some things to it and, you know, make it a, a tribute and or if, or if that other tribute that they could have two either way. You know what I mean? So for sure. 
Uh, so the uh, Marvel slate of movies through Disney have all been moved back uh, starting for uh, 2022. Uh, the Sony ones are safe for now, uh, but everything just kind of moves back to the previous things uh, slot. Doctor Strange that was supposed to come out in March is now coming out in May. Thor Love and Thunder that was supposed to be coming out in May is now coming out in July. Black Panther 2 that was supposed to be coming out in July is now coming out in November. Captain Marvel 2 that was supposed to be coming out in November is now pushed back to February of 2023. And Ant-Man of the Wasp 2 or 3, I'm three. not sure. Quantumania. Quantumania. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just want to see all Marvel superheroes pointing at the Quantumania sign. Yes. So I think more like Macho Madness or Hulkamania. Yeah. Uh, but Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, moves from February 23 to July 23. Right. And the unnamed Fantastic Four movie, who knows? <laughs> Not on the list. There's a bunch of movies on the list that are like, untitled project, untitled project. I'm like, well, if you don't have a title, I'm not even going to bother mentioning you. You know what I mean? What? You're not going to put in the email, untitled uh, project one, two, and three, and their dates? No. Oh. They don't count until they actually have dates. Or names. Or names, exactly. Because mm-hmm. uh, they have dates, they don't have names. But I'm not going to put in untitled Disney live-action uh, Marvel movie uh, that was July 2023 is now <laughs> right. from the schedule, you know? That would just... You were, again, if you don't have a name, you're not even on the schedule to begin with, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right, that would actually drive you insane, I think. Yes. Well, this I wanted to track because I, I had a feeling that a lot of the movies would be... Uh, moved around and shuffled around. I know we had the deal where, like, Venom bounced. They moved it later, then they moved it up again. Uh, as long as they don't mess with Spider-Man, no uh, uh, no way home. But I think that one's, like, too close in the hopper at two months away that they really can't mess with that one too much. Right. And then, what is it? Eternals is right around the corner, so. Yeah, Eternals is, like, three weeks away. Yep. Which I still haven't seen Shang-Chi yet, so. Right. So, oh, this is the other thing that I saw. So I guess, um, and again, I don't know if, so this holds true for Disney theatrical movies to Disney Plus, but I don't know if this counts for Marvel movies to Disney Plus, is that if they get a theatrical only release, quote unquote, theatrical only release, uh, 45 days later is when they go up on Disney Plus. Right. And I think I saw Shang-Chi is going to be on Disney Plus like a week or two after Eternals comes out. Okay. So that they kind of like want you to get you to go to the theater yeah. or pay pay the big bucks whatever. So so you're not so you're in the ro- pro- proper order, you know, if that makes any sense. I don't know. For sure. But the Indiana Jones one's the one that's killing me because he's going to be 300 years old by the time that movie comes out. Yeah, it's, I didn't, you know, we, we talk about the comic book stuff, you know, Indiana Jones is kind of in our wheelhouse, but, uh, I don't even know, like, even though I think I saw, like, one set picture of that, I don't even think that's a real movie. What? It's got a date. Bad dates, Joe. Remember that from the first I do. <laughs> I think every date from here on out for poor Harrison Ford is a bad one. <laughs> oh, boy. Or Harrison Ford. Remember when the Millennium Falcon fell on his foot? 
Remember in the previews, they decided to rip him to shreds in the solicitation for a Star Wars novel? No, an Indiana Jones novel. Oh, it was an Indiana Jones novel. That's what it was. I think it was like the fate of Atlantis or whatever. It comes full circle, Joe. Yeah, go go uh, sign up to the Patreon and go listen to that episode. Oh, that's one of my favorite all-time solicitations. It's either that one or the craps table. That's one or the other. Uh, so work that in seamlessly a plug for the Patreon there. But uh, so uh, one of the things that was directly affecting us by way of our local comic book shop was Penguin taking over the shipping of the Marvel books. And I'm sure if you're a comic book person, you've seen all sorts of horror stories from retailers all across the United States of books and boxes just being completely damaged, ripped to shreds, boxes that literally looked like they packed the books up and then someone decided like, well, I'm just going to run my boot down the edge of this box and now let's send it out. Right. Every box looked like it was delivered by the fancy gentleman's mail woman. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That poor woman, what he must have done to her to get her to treat his packages that way. She's a doll deliverer. You got to treat them with respect. So in talking to our local comic book shop, I did get some information in regards to this, uh, that apparently Penguin had reached out to a bunch of the other shipping folks. Yep. Whether it be Lunar, whether it be Diamond themselves or whomever. Just to be like, hey, how are you guys shipping everything, right? And they go through the whole process. Not that Diamond is any good, but I can attest uh, through my dealings with DCBS, which is the Lunar Company. They ship, they ship stuff immaculately. You know, um, you get, whether it's a book or a toy or whatever, the way that thing is shipped, that thing ain't getting damaged unless you drop it off your roof and run it over with a car, Right. Right. So taking all that information, Penguin initially decided just to ship things their own way. Right. Basically in a box that just fit the books perfectly and no protection other than that. Tape it up, send it off. Well, I do have to correct you there, Todd. Right. Because there was protection. In the corners of each of the boxes, in each of the four corners, there was a little L-shaped piece of cardboard that was maybe the thickness a little bit less of a normal cardboard or uh, um, a comic book uh, board that you would do for your bags and boards. Right. And uh, it was like an L-shaped thing that they would put in the corners sometimes in the box, or sometimes there would just be like a stack of them in your box right? all in one corner. <laughs> yep. Or sometimes you would get the stack of them just on top of your books, not in the corners of the box. Oh. Uh, so this was leading to... You know, people having over 50% of their Marvel books uh, come damaged. Uh, there's certain retailers uh, in, like, the Midwest that haven't gotten their books, period, in the last two weeks. Right. Because of this. Well, apparently some retailers have shown that Penguin, for the most part, have adopted, like, an actual, like, bubble wrap system. <laughs> right. And an actual putting things in a box that we could fit this bubble wrap in, not to damage the book so that they can get to their destinations. Now, there apparently are other issues in regards to – because getting the books there in one piece is number one, right? Mm -hmm. 
But then apparently there's bigger issues of allocations of books where a retailer will order X number of books. Let's say a hundred of a book. Mm-hmm. And they'll get charged for a hundred of that book and they'll only get 10. Or it's one where it's a one in 10 or a one in 25 variant cover. So if I order a hundred of that book and I have the one in 25 variant, I should get four of that variant, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's retailers that are reporting that like, well, I ordered a hundred and I got a hundred of the one in 25 variant. Which is right. fine because they're not charging you for it and you could flip that as a as a profit. But then there's, you know, 75, out, there's however many out there, you know, 95 that didn't get to the destinations of the places that actually ordered them. Right. I heard like a, uh, a couple of people at our at our shop talking about, too, that people were getting like, oh, I ordered, you know, whatever. And the, the book has a one in 100 variant. And I, you know, ordered, I didn't order enough to get a one in 100 variant, but I ordered, say, 20 copies and I got either the one in 50 variants or the one in one. Like they didn't send them the, the, the regular cover. They're just like, here, it says Fantastic Four on it. So we give you 20 Fantastic Fours and they turned out to be one in 50 variants or occasionally one in 100. So it's like their makes out great for, a you know, a retailer, but uh, yeah, or the other thing that I heard is they were getting their books. It was like, oh, well, you ordered 20 Star Wars. Here's Star Wars Galactic Empire. Like that came out that week. You you wanted 100 of those, not the main Star Wars title, right? It's mm-hmm. crazy, the stuff that's going on. It feels as though Penguin is a bit in over their head. Mm-hmm. And they're just treading water at this point, making small changes I think these are things that should have been straightened out before they started shipping books three weeks ago. Maybe that's what happens when you go to your competition and say, how should I ship this? Maybe this competition was like, you know, just wrap it in tissue paper and stamp a label on it and send it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I get what you're saying. You know, it's it's crazy. But- so not to be outdone, uh, Diamond has uh, been making moves and waves and so forth because uh, they just recently purchased CGA, the Collectible Grading Authority. Ooh. Uh, primarily uh, dealing in action figure and video game grading. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have die cast, and uh, I, I would assume Collectible Doll is uh, toys, <laughs> right? Right, Yes. So, uh, I don't know. This feels like something that doesn't affect me. It it doesn't affect me either. Mm -hmm. But the only thing that popped into my mind when I saw this uh, pop up was definitely an angle that I would use if I was CGA. Um, Is because, you know, they're the only company that is going to grade comics that distributes them mm-hmm. have a deal where you could buy, you could guarantee certain grades of a book before they're shipped to, to your comic shop. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like we will, cause we have graders on premise 
we'll you know we'll find what uh, I'm trying to think of the next big hot image book or whoever's still with Diamond and be like, okay, we can guarantee you nine point eights in this book, or we can you know maybe guarantee you a ten if we have one. And I think that'll get into some weird areas, but. I could see that coming down the line of Diamond going guaranteed graded numbers of books. Not to say that they don't, but I'm looking at the CGA site now. Right. And as I mentioned, it looks as though comics is like fifth on the list of things that they do. Right. But now it's bought by a company that distributes comics. Right. Bump that up to the top. Right, and the fact that they, CGA, are primarily in the video game uh, grading thing, and that's... Now, Todd and I, very very forthcoming, very um, transparent regarding this, we feel as though grading, for the most part, is a scam. Right. An opportunity. There you go, CGO. Right. Um, But of the grading of things... If you were to rank the grading on biggest opportunity to smallest opportunity mm-hmm. with a red hot bullet, <laughs> the video game grading is the biggest opportunity in the world. What? Um, because what you're grading essentially is a sealed box, not the contents of the box that are um, unseeable if you will um there could be a copy of the atari et in there for all we know right and you know when it comes to uh action figures or collectible dolls i've heard people tell tales where they've sent a doll out to be graded because they have or toy or whatever to be graded because they have disposable income um and they just keep sending it and sending it until they get the grade they want Right, do they get like a, you know, someone who grades on a sliding scale, if you will. Mm-hmm. But like it's people who have the disposable income. It's like, well, I'll send this same thing out five times in the hopes that on one of the five times I'll finally get a 9.6 or a 9.8 on this thing. Yep. Um, but there's tons and tons and tons of videos out there that kind of debunk the authenticity of video game grading so really buyer beware on that again it's not that comic book grading has gotten better it's just that all the other stuff got getting graded has gotten so (laughs) so much worse that it's made comic book grading by comparison look not as bad as it used to there you go yeah there's a much more swear filled version of that uh statement but that's not for Mm. this show Yes. Wait until we get a sponsor who's a grading company, Joe. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and scrub us bearing all the grading <laughs> companies. Well, we tried like twice, didn't we? And they blew us off. Yep, everybody blew us off. I mean, I'm a PGX guy at heart, but they mm-hmm. never got back to us. Right. And I forget the one that I think PGX was the one that I had initially contacted like almost two years ago. And they right. emailed me back and they're like, hey, uh, we'd love to talk, uh, you know, an opportunity with you. <laughs> And uh, we'll get back in touch with you. And then, like, they never did. I emailed them back, like, a month later. It's like, hey, how are we looking with this? And they never got back with me. So I'm like, we're done. You know, I I swear to God, movie producers would get to us faster. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) Anyway. Still working movie producers, nonetheless. There you go. 
So, conventions this weekend. Uh, Fan Expo Canada is taking place in Toronto. Uh, Nice mix of, uh, you know, creators and a couple uh, two, three media types. You know, your William Shatner, your George Takei are out there. Uh, But they have Jason Fabok, David Finch, Mark Russell, not the political songster but the writer of a variety of books uh not all robots dead box uh my bad coming out here shortly and dan didio is gonna be there oh dan didio who uh no longer in a position of power anywhere i don't think he has any projects out i think he's just a comic book bon vivant out there <laughs> glad handing and uh pressing the flesh Right, but I think he does have an NDA pinned to his uh, lapel, so <laughs> just so when people come up and ask him questions, he can just point at it about like DC, just point at the NDA. I'll find out what uh, I'll find out what hotel he's hanging out or what he's staying at and hang out in the hotel bar. Wait till that pin gets a little loosened up if you if you catch my drift. Oh, I know because I was at a DC party. I remember <laughs> sp- spilling my whole drink on Dan Didio. And I do remember, I don't know if he's still on it. I was like, oh man, just spilled my drink on Dan Didio. And I, I added him and he's, and he wrote back. He's like, it's all good. <laughs> like, okay. Dan seems like an affable fellow. Don't let his uh, bad rep uh, deter you. You know what you I mean? What? Every time I met Dan, and I met Dan a couple of times. Cause I, you know, he was at every New York that I went to in a row. I was at the DC booth a lot. I was at the DC party. Like I said, um, you know, just name dropping here, but uh, always, 100% always a nice guy, always great with the fans. So I'll never say that about Dan Didio. Like I said, an affable, charming fellow if there ever was one. Yep, yep. I pretend all the horror stories about working for Dan are made up by people that don't want me to like him. Right, right. <sighs> but also this weekend is Baltimore Comic Con. Celebrating its 22nd year, America's greatest comic book convention. Joe Quesada is going to be there. Garth Ennis is going to be there. Tom King. Some guy named Kevin McGuire. (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn is going to be there. And our very own Todd is going to be there. That's right. I'll be walking around the the floor. Look for the Johnny Cash bag, everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll say this, if you run into Meet Todd or whatever at the convention and you get a Mark picture with him, uh, you know, share it with us on social media if you're cool with that. And uh, if we're not, I'll make sure that all of the uh, Sokka accounts that I run are following you. That's how you'll find out which ones I run. Yep, yep. I found it funny, too, today because somebody ended up posting up uh, uh, Dan from two years back. He's like, he met... He's like, he met Mitch Gerads, Tom King, Jeff Lemire, and Roker the Joker, baby. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yep. And they were all like, what was he like? What was Todd like? He's, he's exactly what you would think he's like. I'm affable, Joe. Right. Unless I'm drinking, then I'm yelling at goth kids. That's a whole oh other story. God. Those poor goth kids. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, hey, if you're going to be at, uh, you know, like I said, Fan Expo, uh, Canada, want to check it out. Uh, you're going to be at Baltimore, want to check it out. The link to those conventions are in the show notes, uh, along with information about soon to be named network, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com, uh, where you can check out all the shows in the soon to be named network. Uh, I do this from memory, or at least I try to. It's not trying to 
remember the 11 northeastern states, but it's pretty close because it's Longbox Heroes, mm-hmm. Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Hit My Music, Wings on Wings, and, of course, Porch Talk. I think, uh, did we already have the uh, season finale of Porch Talk since the uh, cold months are upon us? I don't know. I mean, the fancy gentleman is delicate now that he's all, like, svelte, so he can't be out in the cold. You know, he's got to have his parka on where I have my natural hibernation, you know, coat on, if you know what I mean. Of course. And anytime any of the folks in the soon-to-be-named network shows appear on other shows, uh, of course, they can be found at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com. Don't trust a podcatcher. Trust me. Trust the spreadsheets. Trust the text files. <laughs> uh, I I got a little bit of pride this weekend myself. I got to tell a uh, podcaster comedian that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, congratulations on his 100th episode. And he's like, really? It's my 100th episode? Are you sure? I'm like, well, I go, I have 100 episodes downloaded. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, you know what I mean? I go, I checked the podcatcher just to double check, but I, I go, I trust my uh, my cataloging system. And he's like, oh, thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, yes. Uh, also, be sure to check out uh, Kevin Hellion's site, Mask Library. He is reviewing some stuff that is and has been recently traded. Uh, he recently did a write-up on Second Coming and Crossover, which were recently collected in trades, which are things that we have talked about here on this very show. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop. He does those cool resident uh, glow-in-the-dark sci-fi fantasy and wrestling-related things. Uh, power listeners of the show, Chris Runt and Jason Sandberg, have published their own comic books, Battle Monsters and Jupiter, respectively. Both of those are available in Comixology. The links to all of that is in the show notes. Uh, you can also check out our comic book shop, which got a little discussion earlier in the news segment, Comics on the Green. If you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, check out our comic book shop. They do a very brisk, very thorough, packed way better than Penguin does <laughs> uh, mail order subscription pull list, whether you get your books once a week, every two weeks, once a month, however it is you get it. There's a chance you might even get a sketch from our good friend Becky, and you can go check out the process of her stuff over on her social media. And as mentioned, all of this is all linked up in the show notes to every single one of these episodes. I heard a rumor every time she sells sells a commission, the money goes in her Catwoman bottle that she has at her house. So I'm looking to find where that's at so I can rob it. She Well, you, I'll run interference there if you run interference at the art collector's uh house if you can get him out of town for like maybe two days this weekend i don't know what you're talking about wink (laughs) (laughs) uh some digital sales this weekend if you're more of a digital comic book person uh dynamite still having a sale on vampirella stuff uh idw having a sale on lock and key stuff marvel having sale on x-men villains and phoenix stuff DC having sale on Wonder Woman stuff. And I said this last week and I've forgotten to do so in the past um, where DC does not uh, lower the prices on their books from print to digital. Usually when the books come out, 
They're usually four, five, six dollars, whatever they are. All the other publishers, after about six to eight weeks, drops the prices on everything except for DC. So if there's newer DC stuff that you're looking to get single digital stuff, these sales are always a good place to check. And every other publisher has Halloween sales. Boom, Dark Horse, Image, and Valiant all having Halloween sales. And this was interesting, Todd. Usually when a publisher puts up a sale, they'll put up a sale for a couple days, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll put it up for a week. Usually it goes Tuesday to Tuesday, right? Right. Sometimes if it's a theme sale, they'll do it for an entire month. Like IDW on the reg will do My Little Pony or Transformers or G.I. Joe or what have you, and they'll do it for the full month, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going through my list and I'm cataloging everything and I see that Titan Comics is having a sale on uh, comic book adaptations of the TV show Blacklist. Right. And I thought it was interesting that this sale that's starting now uh, ends at the end of January 2022. Wow. Whether that's a typo uh, or they're just deciding like, yeah, we're just going to like liquidate our entire digital stock of this book. Right. Maybe it's because, I don't know, is that show still on the air? Maybe that's the season, you know, that it runs? That's a great question. I don't know. Right? I don't know. I'm not watching Blacklist, even though... Neither am I. I watched three non-wrestling TV shows, and we're going to talk about them later. (laughs) I had a feeling. Uh, So let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Uh, I'm going to throw things to you to kick things off with uh, the book that we are both looking forward to coming out this week. Right, which was Immortal Hulk, the nine ninety nine super special of issue fifty. You know, the conclusion of the run, um, written by Al Ewing. Uh, basically, it starts off with a flashback to um, a brothers who have the last name Stearns, which sounds very familiar. And they're discussing like uh, the one is a scientist, and he's discussing this new radiation that was found, and he's going to master it. And we get like throughout the the issue um, there how they're crisscrossed into it. Uh, but the most of the book is the various Hulks, Red, who's uh, Joe Fixit, and uh, Immortal Hulk down in you know the below fighting uh, the leader in it and uh like you know how they got there and how every basically wrapping everything up uh i don't want to you know go too much into it i enjoyed it um i felt like it was a little bit over my head at times like maybe i was missing stuff um but all in all it's you know it's it's an ending to the run um i like uh reed richards in it towards the end like discussing stuff about uh like what what he gave to uh bruce banner so he cannot go off and do his thing but uh i don't know how to explain it i just felt like there was some things that i wasn't getting at the end of this um i think it's a a good resolution not a great resolution of the run Okay, I will definitely say that I'm looking at this with not rose, but jade-colored glasses. Right. Uh, I loved this. Okay. I I thought it was great. Um, I typically, my mind would always, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say get upset, but kind of feel like uh, they're like forcing this too hard to try to tie the origins of the leader and the Hulk back as far as they did. Yep. Uh, Usually I think a lot of times when they do that, 
Uh, I feel it's forced. I feel it's them trying to make more out of something to make this rivalry more important. But this is not a knock on the Hulk, but the Hulk is someone like Superman in a change that, like, outside of Lex Luthor, who really is a Hulk villain of any sort of worth. And I don't mean, like, worth as in, like, a match for the Hulk, because, you know, depending on the writer, depending on the whatever. Um, But if you can kind of tie the leader to be, like, the capital T Hulk villain, and this is your way to do this, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm with you. I get that. I think he has really... Two, it's the abomination and the leader. Those are his two go-tos. Um, they use more, they use the UFOs in here. Um, he, he that was one of them that he would go back to. And General Thunderbolt Ross, but they turned him into a Hulk at one point, which I thought was eh. but I, I I get what you're saying. I th- always think it's kind of lazy to try to link up stuff that was never there and make it like it. I, I like the idea of the Obama, uh, the leader and the Hulk being two completely separate things that just ran into gamma radiation. And now they're linking them up. I don't know. I, that I think where you're saying you're looking through it with Jade colored glasses, I felt it was a little forced. So even further still, this is a big giant 50th issue. And yes, there's a lot in this issue. It's dense. Usually when you get a book like this, it's the 50th issue, it's an oversized thing, it's 10 bucks. They add in a bunch of extra stuff to help pad it out or whatever. Mm -hmm. This was all one story, man. That I will wholeheartedly give them. Like, it's, this is literally like three or four issues of Immortal Hulk on its own. Right. And I liked the interplay with Red Hulk and I guess you would say Childlike Hulk. Right. Um, I like the revelation with uh, how she would have to use her gamma vision powers. Mm-hmm. Um, how Jackie would have to use those. Uh, I liked how everything kind of resolved itself with Banner getting out. I, I liked the little bit of a tease that they tried to do to make it, uh, Doc Samson seem like he was like a, a mystery character showing back up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and like I said, I definitely seeing this. I, I was such a fan of this run. Um, obviously rewarding for folks that have been here the whole time. But I think if you read the opening text piece and you just read this issue, I think you would enjoy this. Okay. I, um, I will admit, I will admit, because I want to go back. I don't want people to think that I hated this issue. I do think that the, the resolution with Stearns, a.k.a. Uh, the leader... And the Hulk is fascinating. Like it's a different, it's a different take than anything I had kind of seen the Hulk beat somebody. So I will give you that. I was more along the lines of the, you know, like here's the person who's the person below spouting like biblical stuff. And like, this is all the stuff that was kind of lost on me. If this issue had been a little tighter and that stuff in the middle was kind of taken away, maybe I wouldn't have minded the, the Stearns brothers and other stuff so much. I don't know. I just don't want to bag on it because it was 49 issues of great, you know? Right. And I I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm not sad to see it go because it had to run its natural course. I don't think any creative team could keep up this sort of pace that this book was uh, going on as Mm -hmm. long as it was. And it'll be nice to have a change of pace with a new creative team on here. Yep. I will always give Hulk a try whenever there's, you know, a new 
creative team. So Hulk's I, close. Hulk, uh, Hawkeye. On the Marvel side, Kang, of course. <laughs> uh, these are folks that, like, I don't even need to look at the creative team, but obviously if there's a good creative team, it kind of bumps it up higher on the list. But uh, Donnie Cates has taken over Hulk, right? I've heard of that guy. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what he could do uh, on his. I know some folks uh, maybe run hot or cold with him these days, but, uh, you know, I'm still on board, you know? Yep. Don't get yeah. Don't get me started on people running hot and cold with stuff because sometimes I just sit in the shop and I bite my lip. Mm-hmm. Is that how that happened? Yeah, I believe so. So the other book that we both read from this past week would be Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number five, written by Kyle Starks, with art by Chris Schweizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the penultimate uh, issue of this before we get the big reveal to who actually did kill Trigger Keaton. Uh, but this is uh, a big giant battle between our sidekicks and the, uh, w- would you say, the uh, stuntman union, the stuntman mafia? What would you call them? I would call them just the stuntman because this is a stuntman war coming to a head, Joe. Yes. Which uh, was so there is a lot packed into this issue. Mm-hmm. Um. The I will say a little bit of sometimes a little bit of the coloring, and I get why the coloring had to be done that way because they were uh, inside whatever that temple was, right? But we get some big um, character moments, some kind of uh, you know life changing moments for Paul, for Terry, for Tad. Uh, most importantly, I'd say uh, for 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 Paul there. Hmm. Uh, we kind of get the revelation of, in regards to uh, why he's been kind of, I wouldn't say a pacifist, but so uh, afraid to get physically involved in things. Um, but I really like this. We get a, we get that they really have been our main characters up to this point. And to get like these big character bits from them, I thought was great. Right. Um I will just say uh, that that's all great. Tad, you know, is great. My my favorite thing of this issue is because there's a lot with Terry, whether or not he's going to betray the, the six or not. Right. And that's that's a fun bit. Um, and we get like kind of why he doesn't do falls and stuff like that. And then the the crux of the end of the book that usually like leans on something to do with any of the six is a fascinating Terry Kamo. Komodo, uh, basically his, uh, what would you call it? His resume written by him. And it is such a blast to read that uh, written by him and how it always comes around to just Terry. It's all Terry all the time. Literally, he should have a Tuesday made just for Terry Komodo. No, there's already one. Listen, I've already got too many people trying to co-opt Terry Tuesday the way it is. And it's not even that popular of a hashtag. Right. But I literally had like three different people attempt to co-opt it for their own whatever, you know? Right, right. Though, uh, uh, go, go, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, the newest uh, of the six, Richard Brannigan, is fascinating just for the fact that he was in an action remake of To Kill a Mockingbird, and the name of the movie is Tequila Mockingbird. I could not stop laughing at that, Joe. And there's a couple more gags with that throughout the book. Um, I, I I love six sidekicks of Trigger Key. And though right. I was I, shocked that they didn't tell us, 
you know, I thought there would be a reveal at the end and it was going to lead into next issue giving us the reveal. Well, we get the reveal that he knows, right? Right, but we don't know. Yes. Um, but again, I don't like to give away all the gags, but I was going to go for the same thing that you were going for, uh, that he's starring in the remake called Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> right. And that he plays Boom Radley. It's Boo, Joe. <laughs> no, it's Boom, yeah. The way, but Tad says that. I laugh at that. He's like, isn't it Boo Radley? I'm like, no, it's Boom Radley in the movie. But th- like this book, it's so fun. It's so action packed and it's full of these nonstop gags like this. If you're not checking it out, you really should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when we talk about it every month when it comes out, you know, sometimes things kind of fall by the wayside. You know, we both get a lot of books as we're about to get into. Uh, <laughs> but there's certain books that always creep to the top of the list. And this has been for the last five months. And you know, I don't want to say that I'll be sad to see issue six come out, but that means hopefully Kyle will have something new uh, up his sleeve to come out shortly hereafter, you know? I agree. So that's what we read from this past week. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you wait for the trade, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. And I need to edit that because somehow my number of correct guesses disappeared, but it's like this didn't happen. Right, so I think you lose a point for having that mistake. No, that's not how it works. Okay. Uh, I'm currently in the lead with one correct guess, and I'm looking at Todd's list. And I'm going to guess the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Destroy All Monsters, a Reckless Book. Yes, it is Destroy All Monsters by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing the same thing for you. Of course. Uh, this is one that I think I've dreamed that I've wanted to come out every week this month. Because it's been on, like, the preview list uh, every week this month. And then now when it's actually in this week and our store posted up pictures like, hey, we have it. I'm like, oh, okay, it's actually coming out this week. Thank goodness. Did you, did you see why they posted, though? Yes, I did. Uh, I, I I heard I'm, you know, one of the first 20, I think, is going to happen. So Wow, congratulations. So I think I'm going to get a book plate. Mm. Congratulations. I could sell it to you if you don't get one. Um, okay. I'll get it graded. I know a company. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, <laughs> uh, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current 2021 smash sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues, uh, where we are reading the mid to late 2000s run of Jonah Hex by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. And we are reading the much maligned, maybe not so maligned, uh, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months here, Spider-Clone Saga. So I had uh, issues 55 and 56 of Jonah Hex to talk about, right? Yes. So, uh, I liked him. I liked him both, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jonah Hex 55, uh, is an issue entitled, 
uh, was it the Ballad of Billy Dynamite, I think it was called? The Brief Life of Billy Dynamite, right? Yeah, I think it's a very brief life of Billy Dynamite. Uh, right. Uh, so it starts off, it says five years and three weeks ago. And uh, an old man, Emmett, who appears to be some sort of, uh, you know, maybe a local wino, let's say. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Is uh, teaching young Billy about explosives, nitroglycerin, having some fun, talking about blowing up some cats or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then we get a gang coming in. Uh, Now, it is snowy outside. We get that uh, bit of business as well. Uh, They come in to hold up the bar and immediately just shoot. Uh, the barkeep, the owner of the bar, and I assume his uh, wife, or is it just another person working there, right? Right. No, it's the the husband and wife okay. who are Billy's parents. Right. So they go and they grab whatever it is, and there's like literally no money in the box uh, because it is wintertime. The mine's been shut down, etc. And then all of a sudden, one of their cronies' heads comes rolling in, and of course, it's Jonah Hex, guns a-blazing. Uh, takes out a good chunk of the gang, but little Billy uh, gets in on the action. Of course, his parents have been killed right in front of him. He's kicking and stomping on the co- the corpse of one of the people that have been shot. And I'll say this, in a rare moment of, I would never say lapse in judgment, but I would certainly say uh, a rare moment of letting his guard down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy grabs the gun out of Jonah's holster and starts firing gets uh, a bunch of the gang but accidentally shoots uh Emmett the uh the town drunk in the hand as well right no that's not uh Emmett that's a different guy are you sure i'm pretty sure i'm going back to look yeah mm. Emmett doesn't it was definitely have... a bar patron it definitely wasn't one of the people uh in the gang uh i be- okay I'll no no you're look. right it wasn't Emmett but it was a different person that was in the bar mm mm-hmm. mhm uh, so, uh, Jonah decides that these, uh, parents, of course, after what had happened, they deserve a proper burial and they get the proper burial. We then flash forward to now, uh, from five years ago to three weeks ago and, uh, Evander and his gang show up in town and, uh, they come looking, you know, looking for a ruckus, of course, as, you know, a gang of hooligans and toughs would do. Uh, making all sorts of rude remarks to the woman behind the bar counter. And I do like, uh, she's like, easy cowpoke, this ain't that kind of joint. Proper ladies of the the evening, treated properly, can be met in the far corner where the piano's playing. Right. It's like, there's a a time and a place for that sort of thing, right? Right, and I just want to say, when the gang shows up, they end up kicking uh, the stuffing out of the old guy who's on the front porch, and that's Stumpy, the guy who had his hand shut off, Joe. Right, okay, now see, I thought that, so, uh, again, so I knew somebody got their hands shut off, I assumed it was Emmett, but obviously it's not Emmett, it's, right. it was somebody else that was at the bar, working at the bar, whatever it was, right? No problem. So, two of the bar patrons, who seem to be twins, attempt to stop Evander and his group from uh, causing a ruckus, that does not go well. And the woman working behind the bar is like, uh, I wish you hadn't done that. And then we see little Billy show up and he says, I'm Billy Dynamite. I want you out of my establishment. They all laugh at him. Uh, He's this little tiny blonde haired kid talking all tough. They don't take him seriously. He lights a 
not a firecracker, but I assume some sort of uh, stick of dynamite. Lights it, sticks it in Vander's mouth, and essentially blows the bottom of his face off. Yep. And uh, again, I, I had to make the decision not to use some of the more graphic scenes uh, in the <laughs> pull post post for this. Right. Because again, I always like to remind everyone, this is a non-comics code rated, but non-Vertigo regular DC title. And uh, outside of language, it is pretty graphic. Right. So uh, a week goes by, they come back to town, they burn down the saloon. Uh, they strap a bunch of dynamite <laughs> to Billy and they throw him into the flaming building, folks. Yep. But he blows up, right? As he, he would if you had dynamite. But they don't realize that it's going to send debris and it hurts a bunch of them. So they're the smartest kids in the factory. Right. They get a bunch of shrapnel uh, shot into them. Now we're at one week ago where the uh, bar patron or the woman working at the bar uh, finds Jonah Hex, who is... Uh, at the barber, uh, maybe a couple in the tank, maybe uh, the barber having an issue trying to figure out how to shave Jonah's face, mm -hmm. uh, which nice. is an interesting note. Uh, you know, one would assume that Jonah should have like half a scraggly beard and then half of his normal face, right? Right. Uh, so she starts to give Jonah the riot act, essentially saying like, I was there that night when his parents were shot and you came and saved everyone. Uh, but you were saying that you were late, and obviously the reason that you were late is because you were drunk. And you need to make this right. Uh, so Jonah goes and rounds everyone up, ties them upside down in the woods while they're all pleading their ignorance, saying it wasn't us, it wasn't us. But there's a Vander with half his face and his tongue hanging out amongst a lot of them. And uh, Jonah blows them all up, but good. Yep. Fun light story. Uh, you know? It's good to see uh, evil lose in the end. Yep. Sad, sad, the sad tale of Billy Dynamite, Joe. Yes. I don't think we'll be seeing Billy Dynamite's adventures anytime soon in the pages of Jonah Hex. No. So then we have issue 56, which there was two stories, uh, two little short things in here. Uh, one is uh, a Native American woman by the name of Perivo. Uh, shows up and asks Jonah for assistance. Uh, Earl Simon and his two sons keep coming to make offers on her land and her house. Uh, they're coming for a third time, and she just wants to make sure someone's there. Mm -hmm. uh, so they take a, uh, a carriage, a horse-drawn carriage, back to her home. Uh, she's like, I'm a 90-year-old woman. I don't get a chance to talk to anyone. And she gives him the Abe Simpson, there was an onion tied to my belt sort of <laughs> speech, which Jonah falls asleep during. Mm -hmm. uh, she makes Jonah some stew and uh, is like, okay, they're here. You need to just go hide in this room and not say anything. Oh, and the deal is uh, Jonah's in town. He's stranded in this town because he doesn't have a horse. Right. And if if she if Jonah goes through with this, uh, she she's going to give Jonah the horse. Okay? Right. So Jonah goes and hides in the back room. Uh, uh, Earl Simon and his two sons show up and they're here to make an offer, which she refuses and essentially is like, listen, uh, you know, this house is literally the last thing that I have. Um, I don't care if you let your cattle come through here, make a road through it, um, build another ho home off this land, but I'm not moving off of it. 
I'm staying here. Right. So Earl's like, well, you know, uh, I, I respect that, of course, you know, but hey, I, I can't not make an offer. You know, the train people are going to be coming through here soon anyway. Uh, his sons are a little less um, soft with their sort of things. They're kind of mean about it. Uh, Jonah's ready to go. And uh, he is not needed. Comes out, uh, says, hey, that's a threat. And she says, nope, I've been threatened many times. Um, but the horse is yours. I don't need your services anymore. Mm -hmm. So Jonah stumbles upon the three men who have a fire uh, ready to go while they are planning on how they are going to take care uh, of Perovio. And Jonah haplessly comes upon them. They offer him a thousand dollars uh to go kill her uh and jonah says huh a thousand dollars a that's enough to kill three people <laughs> and kills kills them and she goes i and then we flash back to her and she's like i knew i hired the right man for the job that's a great little story Quick. that's a fun little story yes Precise. and that's one that i'm glad that they didn't try to like stretch out longer than it needed to be it was perfect right um, and this, the other story is just kind of a little bit more substance to Jonah's time when his dad sold him off uh, to the Apaches, when his dad left to go to the gold rush, never came back and got him, and the trials and tribulations that Jonah had in dealing specifically with uh, the tribal chief's leader, uh, No Tante. The tribal leader's son, yes. The tribal leader's son, um, you know, we get a little bit of the back and forth between them, and this is uh, Jonah's, I guess, initial attachment to White Fawn, who is the tribal chief's daughter, and these people are coming to desecrate her grave, and Jonah is there to stop them, uh, saying that this is his land that he owns, and this is something that he comes to commemorate her passing on a yearly basis. Right. Again... Another one, just adding a little bit more flavor to a story that we've already gotten a lot more uh, of in previous issues. But I liked it quite a bit. Both stories in the uh, 56 were good, and I feel bad for Billy Dynamite. Yeah. Um, White Fawn was, like, something that was big in the original run. He, She was the one who helped him, like, escape and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, wasn't so much the chief's daughter, but was uh, uh, the, the chief's son's love interest, and she liked Jonah. And that's one of the reasons that he tried to off him and cheated, and that's why Jonah got the scar. So a lot of backstory there that I know about, but I like the fact that this is the only mention I believe she gets in the in the new run. So it was gotcha. fun. Gotcha. But uh, I'm going to go to my book, which was uh, the first one is Amazing Spider-Man 409, which is uh, the uh, Return of Kane storyline. Story this is part three of four. Um, so basically it starts out with uh, Ben Riley in his apartment with the skeleton of the uh, Spider-Man uh, with the Spider-Man costume on that was in the smokestack. Uh, him trying to, you know he takes it out and he's thinking about it. And then we just get tons and tons of exposition to get us up to, to point like, Oh, was it Kane? Was it, you know, or uh, not Kane? Uh, I blame Jackal for this mess. Then he's talking about uh, trainer and, you know, like uh, Rhino and Omuse and stuff like that. So a lot of waste. Hey, listen, 
Um, so we get a lot of wasted stuff in that. Then we get the guy who's running. Is it the great game? Is that what it's called? Yes. I'm not even going to remember. I don't care about his name, but he's like, oh, you know, we're going to, should we, somebody's calling him, should we stop it or should we just go on with it? He's like, we're going to go on to it. We're going to factor in uh, Spider-Man in the proceedings. Let's all start wagering. Um, so uh, Omuse and Kane are together and she's like, uh, he's like, I don't trust you, but she's like, hey, um, I helped set you free in her, written in her Irish uh, accent, which I know you love. And she's like, um, this doesn't help me. Uh, I helped you. It does, you know, it gets me in Dutch with him. And he's like, okay. And he's kind of thinking about the the girl from the past that he has. And Rhino shows up. Uh, then uh, Jonah is like, oh, we need, you know, to figure out all this story. So he's like, he's going to send uh, Ken Ellis on it to one. And then uh, Ben Eric to do another one. And he's like, oh, well, uh I don't matter to me. I just want the uh, new Spider-Man's head on a spit. So I do like Jonah just hating Spider-Man. Um, that's one of my favorite little bits. So Ben is fl- uh, swinging around town, runs into the fight with Kane and Omuse and Rhino. And then we get Joystick shows up, who's another contender, and Pole Star, who's I hope a villain who has, you know, the length of Fire Fist or Wild Whip, Joe. Oh, my God. So they end up just fighting. And in the end, um, it comes down to... Uh, no, they, they they keep fighting. And in it... So, sorry. Uh, Trainer is in the coma, but Doc Ock shows up to, you know, be like, oh, I'm here to see my father. But she has plans because she's not... She, he's not going to survive much longer. She said, at least she said the quiet part, quiet. Um, Kane and all of them are, are fighting still joystick kind of gets busted up, but, but leaves Spider-Man kicks the heck out of pole star. Um, and in the end, all he really has is uh pole star and Rhino because uh, joystick Kane and Omuse uh, get away um, and then the leader of the great games like, oh, well, I have a plan. Don't worry. Uh, and we find out that Omuse is still in uh, kind of uh, the great games control. She's like she's a, a he's she's a patsy for for him. So um, all in all, not a great issue. Not fun. It's just more great game stuff, which I don't care about. The only things I need to mention is Joystick actually does become a more long lasting villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polestar, not so much. What? And in the exposition dump by Ben Spider-Man, uh, in something ripped from today's uh, talking points, he says, oh, can't all the villains just have cell phones on them? And we'd all be connected by the internet. If only there was something like villains online where it'd be easier to track everyone. Oh, there I feel so that's verbiage that would be in a comic book today. Yep. Hey, Hench, remember the the app Hench, Joe? That's right. So uh, in in my next issue was Spider-Man uh, 66. Ben's out looking for Kane and Omuse. Um, ends up finding them. Uh, Kane wants none of it. And the cops show up, too. Uh because they're looking for Spider-Man too, because they think he stole the body from the the morgue. Because J. Jonah Jameson uh, kind of put that in the paper, and Kane goes absolutely wild, 
and most of the fight is Ben just trying to save random cops um, from his wrath. And he does, there's like a thing where he brings down a building, but Ben ends up stopping them. And uh, there is a bit that makes, that made me laugh out loud after he does it, because in the distraction, uh, Kane and Omuse get away and he's like, well, and now to, sh- the, you know, I saved the cops and now to show their gratitude, the police are going to offer me a hearty and he just cuts off and they yell freeze. And he's like, yep. So much for gratitude. I did kind of like that because it sets up, you know, like how he's never, he gets no respect. Um, Kane, like I said, is thinking about Louise Kennedy, his lover from the past. And she, Omuse is like, well, take the mask off. I want to see what you look like. And she, she ends up, he ends up taking it off. He's like, oh, it's just a face. It's, 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 it's okay. And he's like, oh, you're the only, the only person that I, that, that I can trust. Not since the last person, which was the cop that he killed. Um, then at the paper, uh, Jay Jones is like, oh, nobody got to the bottom of anything. Robbie, you're Ellis, nobody. He goes, well, there's only one person I can turn to when it comes to, you know, uh, finding out stuff about Spider-Man. I'm going to make the call. And he ends up making the call. He's like, oh, you'll come back east and we'll pay all your expensive, whatever it takes. Sure, you could bring her along, but I want you here yesterday. See you then. I wonder who that could be, Joe. Who could Mm. be the person who Jonah always sends off against Spider-Man? And he has a she with him? I I don't know. Um, So uh, Kane and Omuse decide they're going to take down the great game. And they attack the building. And they they have, like, laser turrets and um, all that kind of stuff. And they go in. He starts having visions like he did with Mary Jane that Omuse is going to have the mark of Kane on her face. And he's in, and he's like, I, I, I don't want it to happen. They go in. They start fighting. Uh, he finds out that Omuse has, you know, led him here. And she was like, like, like he grabs her like he's going to kill her. And Ben, he ends up saying, like, I have the, the premonitions. And he's like. Ben's like, well, you don't have to do it. Like, today's the day you can choose not to be led around. He's like, yeah, I don't want to be led around by anybody anymore. So I'm going to uh, leave and 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 get away from this. And Omuse ends up uh, jumping out a building and saying, like, well, I'm going to have Spider-Man save me. And then I'm going to run away kind of a deal. So, like, because he'll, he'll do it. And Ben's like. Oh, man, what is it where I got to save these people? Like people th- jumping out buildings. And he's worried. I kind of like a Gwen Stacy thing was going through my mind. And then at the end, Joe, um, in the office, they say, Mr. Jameson, your 11 o'clock is here. And he's like, send him in. Good to see you, ca- kid. You're, you're, I hope you're ready to have your uh, byline under Spider-Man shots again. He's like, Mr. Peter Parker, what? And he's like, he's ready, but put out the cigar because I don't want my baby to get, you know, secondhand smoke. Um, once again, just just don't care. Saw the, you know, the betrayal coming a mile away. And I'm tired of Kane already, you know? So this was thrown in here because, of course, it was Kane being back into the books after being gone for like six months. Mm. And them moving Peter out to the West Coast, already being retconned with him coming back to take pictures of Spider-Man. Right. Seems like they were making an about face, Joe. Certainly, it certainly feels as though this is the beginning of said about face. Right. Not the face, but about Mm. face. The face? Thank you. 
So next week, uh, we only have one issue of Spider-Man, and that would be Spectacular Spider-Man 232. Uh, But we have the graphic novel uh, No Way Back for Jonah Hex to read. Right. So we'll have a hardcover from Ed Brubaker and a hardcover from Jimmy Belmiotti and Justin Gray. Lots of reading next week. Yeah, yeah. These I have a time to schedule them, but uh, we'll figure out when we're going to get Reckless and everything else read. With everything else that we have planned for this weekend, uh, as mentioned over on After Dark, if you're listening in the correct listening order, the $5 Patreon level, then you know. Uh, if you're not, you'll know Friday. Right. Though I will admit that it is a more, bre- I think, a breezier read for the original graphic novel. Um, and it's, I think it has to do with this was what they kind of put out to coincide with the movie. You know what I mean? Sure. All those years ago, but oh, uh, I, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. So, so hey, Todd, do we have any art attacks this week? We did. Speaking of Jonah Hex, um, hey, from uh, T Bolt Seven Twelve, hey, Todd's art attack. I can't believe my timing is so terrible. But here's a page from the wonderful Jonah Hex Fifty Three, which we did last week by Billy Tucci, J- Jimmy Palmiotti, and Justin Gray. Loved the issue and glad to own a page from it. Um, Billy Tucci stuff is beautiful, and I love like seeing the pencils over like the digital colors that they obviously use. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that I like. And like, I always said, like, this is the kind of thing where you see digital coloring being the new inking. If you know what I mean? Yes. Um, this is a perfect example of that. Uh, I like in the actual page itself in what would be that second panel uh, on the penciled part on how dark he's colored. Uh, her eyes, the character whose name from last week, I forget. Yep, I'm with you. Um, so also, um, Manny Joseph, uh, an original planned cover from JLA, from George Perez um, in 1983, I, uh, for, on the cover of the original fanzine. I think that's really cool. They you ended up probably using that in the back of uh, of the, at some point in the book. I think they even used it in maybe in a, on a page or something like that. I definitely recall it being used in some of the advertisements for it when it would come out finally all those years later, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Sherlock Peoria uh, has probably, well, I'll get to it. He's like, Todd Ar- Todd's Art Attack, best birthday gift I ever got. A wearable recreation autographed by Jay Garrick himself, John Wesley Shipp, the helmet of the Golden Age Flash. That is a fantastic gift. The fact that it's autographed by john wesley ship is fantastic and dc if you're not listening or mar mcfarland get on this because if i ever see you wearing this at a show i'm stealing it and using the super speed that it gives me to get away <laughs> very fast Joe. well I, again i i have you know obviously this is a uh, a recreation of course i'm sure there are folks out there uh, that are selling like fast run man helmet or something, you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. The streaks helmet. Yes. Where it certainly looks like the Flash's helmet, but we can't call it that. So here we are. Um, if there's anything that you should be on the lookout for at Baltimore this weekend, it should be not people wearing this that you steal it from them, but actual uh, people who can fabricate or replicate these sort of things for you. Yep. Yep. I'm going to be on the lookout for that. Yes. Uh, I'll throw this out here as a reminder to everyone to do their uh, pigskin pickums picks. Mm-hmm. 
I saw Todd did the uh, appropriate cleaning up that he needed to do. Yes, I did. And now we've got uh, quite the interesting top six, let's say, because Todd, uh, Todd is one of four people uh, with the fancy gentlemen that are tied for third place. And then tied for first would be uh, Marcus of Final Wrestling Place and uh, Chris Runt, uh, super mega power listener, uh, writer of writer and creator of Battle Monsters, etc., are tied for first. So it's good to see some recognizable names and faces in that upper end of things, you know? Yep, and when people are loudly and, you know, yelling on Twitter that they're coming for Marcus, I'm just quietly off on the side making my picks, moving up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, 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 It's almost like, you know, I'm not in business for myself. <laughs> Listen, I'm on 30 sec- I'm in 32nd place. I'm not even on the first page. So, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, you have a system, Joe. It's going to turn around. I'll just say this. Don't forget to do your picks. Yep. And make sure they all register because the site is a nightmare. Yep. Todd tweets at them every week to tell them to fix how they do it. And they don't listen. They don't. They should hire me to run pigskin pickums over ESPN. Yeah. I would, I would be a benevolent ruler, Joe. You the webmaster that you are. Oh, can I use my ringtone maker? You're Uh hired. I'm not sure how that would work, but go for it. Yep. I say do whatever you think is going to work. Yep. Uh, So while you're over at uh, longboxheroes.com, of course, uh, be sure to check out our store where you could purchase shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. If you want even more fancy items with more fancy logos on them, whether it be from this show, from After Dark, from Final Wrestling Place, from Add Oz with Wrestling, Hit My Music, on anything from cell phone covers to notebooks to throw pillows, head over to our T Public store, tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes. Another way to help us out, as I mentioned a couple times through the course of the episode, our Patreon. Uh, $5 a month is going to get you two bonus shows from Todd and myself, previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Just to see all the uh, world of comic books where maybe about three months away, four months away from the creation of Image Comics. Uh, it's got to be. Yeah, we're right around the corner. And then six never seen movies uh, where Todd assigns me six movies I've never seen. I assign Todd six movies he's never seen. Uh, we're getting toward the uh, end of this. And if you already listened to this week's episode of six never seen movies uh, or you've already listened to Long uh, After Dark then you have an idea of what next year's movie project is going to be. Yep. Uh, another way to help us out, support us, or otherwise is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link by clicking the banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. Does not cost you anything extra. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah, I almost slipped up and said the uh, <laughs> R-rated version of that. Oh. Uh, someone, uh, some of the notable purchases this week include... Hanes men's double crew socks, 12 pair in uh, big and tall sizes. Big, uh, big socks. Also, mean, what was that? Sorry. Say big socks. You know what that means? Big feet. Uh, big, big shoes. That's right. Uh, somebody also purchased uh, men's Hanes big and tall, no ride up briefs. 
with Comfort Flex waistband. Ooh, uh, and I, I doff my John Cena cap to you, uh, good sir, who is still wearing briefs in the year 2021. Good for them. But they're no write-up, Joe. Come on. Uh, anything, if you wear it properly, could be no write-up. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody also purchased a six-pack of hand grip strengthener finger exercise uh, foam grip workout finger stretcher wrist pain carpal tunnel etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Ooh, good for you! I don't want to, you know, arm re- or uh, thumb wrestle anybody who owns that. That's right. Ugh. Or arm wrestle them That's over the true. top style. Make them take their hat right. off before you start. Right. I'm gonna drink a can of oil before I do it. Right. So I think that's it for the main show. We just have to get into uh, TV talk, right? Yes, we do. All right. So thanks, everyone. Uh, Again, we got a lot of TV stuff to go over and a little bit of news there as well. So if you didn't watch any of these shows, we bid you adieu. Thanks for listening. Uh, Episode 577, Longbox Heroes. And uh, Todd, as always, is going to start things with uh, Stargirl. Stargirl starts out with uh, one of the flashback things where it's shortly after uh, the JSA has killed Bruce Gordon, who, you know, was inhabited by Eclipso. And, you know, everybody seems to, like, be packing up kind of a deal. Like, you know, Pat's cleaning out him and Starman's area. And uh, Starman comes in to have a beer with him, and he ends up telling him, you know— you know, he wishes he didn't take him with him. There's a great story about how like family isn't just, you know, who you're born into. It's, it's, it's chosen. And he chose Pat or, and he ends up telling about a story about a watch in the past about like why he's, his family was kind of no good, but you know, Pat was good to him and the, and he, he always cherished the watch and he ends up kind of giving it to him. And they end up having a beer together and he kind of even admits that he disrespects him Probably one of like in this opening, one of my favorite bits with like heroes um, in a long, long time. Starman and Pat having the conversation is absolutely fantastic. As long as, as you always say, you can get away from the fact that like Pat's supposed to be 16 at this time. But uh, I really enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's very heartwarming. And I, and I like that about Stargirl. So I need uh, to just, I just need to throw in there. That's um, what I figured. So they, um, and again, I feel bad because uh, Starman, Joel McHale, yes. uh, talks about a watch that he got. There's this bonding moment. It's a watch that his parents gave him, but he comes home and he's sad that he lost the watch. Parents didn't give it to him. It was Pat who gave him the watch, right? Right. But he mentions that at school, it was that bully Hop Harrigan. Yes. Who took the watch from him. DC character. Right, DC character, one of the uh, flying aces, and he was also the Black Lamp, whoever that is. Right, I don't know on that. Did you know he had a bunch of uh, serials in, like, in the movies back in the forties? Oh, I thought you meant like Captain Crunch, Count Chocula, oh, stuff like that. That would Sorry. be fantastic. But uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, so basically, like JSA is like all discombobulated because Pat lied about you know, killing Bruce Gordon. So Courtney and Pat are on the outs and like, this is kind of what, you know, Eclipso needs. Um, And at this point, you know, they're arguing and shade shows up and he's all busted up 
and he's like, they end up putting him on the couch kind of a deal. And he, you know, he's, he's, he's dying, but they're like, can we, can, can we trust him? Kind of a thing. But along the way, uh, he's like, I'll, you know, I'll tell you how to, what's the word, uh, to, uh, defeat Eclipso. And they're like, can we trust him? And he ends up saying, you have to use, uh, light like the staff to make the the gem come back together and it will imprison Eclipso as long as you don't touch it. And they're like, can we trust them? Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, he ends up they end up giving Shades kind of origin that it was involved. He was involved as a like he was a he was an opportunist, if you will, in older mm. times. And he there was a cult and they were going to do a thing where they were going to rob Eclipso of his powers, but he made a fake gem. So they opened up the shadow realm and the powers had nowhere to go. So they went into shade who they ended up, you know, betraying and making him a sacrifice for their thing. So that's how he becomes the shade. I pretty much, which if I remember correctly was the way it was in the comic, right, Joe, pretty much. Yes. Okay. I was making, cause I didn't remember that, that I was, so that goes on and he's like, Oh, well we'll use the staff. The staff's on the Fritz for the past couple episodes. So they're like, he's like, I have an idea. We'll use uh Jade. I'm just using Jade as her name, like using the green lantern ring. That's also light. We'll put it back together. And he ends up having um, a lead, but he won't tell Courtney where it is because she doesn't trust him and blah, 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 all this stuff. He's like, you'll just go off without me. So they get in the car and they go to this thing and they have their conversation on the way with one of my favorite tropes in any TV show or movie is when there's a situation going on and you change the radio station and it's always up. Like it, it, it deals with something going on. Like there was a song about trust and then there was a commercial that had to deal with it. I love that bit every time they do it. Um, so he ends up telling, like, she's like, you don't trust me. He's like, all right, I'll tell you where, she, where she's at. And she's in the town where the JSA headquarters is. And he's like, well, that's the only place I would go if, uh, you know, this is going on. I'm just going to cut away for a minute and go to, there's a side story with both, uh, with, the, with, uh, Mike, uh, Dr. Midnight Beth and Rex. Rex is in jail, but he ends up getting apples thrown through what every small jail has in small towns, a wide open window with bars on it. So if it rains or snows, weather can come in. Don't know, don't care, but he eats the apples that Solomon Grundy throws him. That's all we get of Rex in this one. Beth is dealing with her parents who think she's absolutely insane because she's constantly wearing the goggles, which I think is going to, you know, come out of that, that there's going to be something where they try to put her away. But uh, she ends up saying she can't take them off and she had like, she, they can't understand. So there's all these implications of like an imaginary person and they're like, eh. but she's like, well, are you going to talk about it? And I do like when Beth turns around, I was like, you didn't want to talk about the divorce. So we're, we're going to walk away. I'm like, okay, we can get away from the divorce thing. Mike wants to help by going to get Stripe, but he realizes um, he doesn't know how to turn it on kind of a deal, but he doesn't know how to turn on the radio. And he finds out that there's purple lightning over this house. So he goes to find it and to go find the Thunderbolt. And he finds a giant gingerbread house, which was kind of cool. Um, so, uh, back to, uh, Courtney and Pat, they go to the JSA headquarters. They find out that she's been, uh, Jade has been staying there. Um, and when they come in, it's kind of cool. The car comes up through the floor and he goes, Oh, we've had, you know, this is my room in Starman's. Everybody on the JSA had one. Um, let's go look around. 
Courtney goes, hey, look, she's been staying in this room, which is lucky so we don't have to build any new sets. Kind <laughs> of <a deal. laughs> and, um, so she's like, yeah, and they get the information that she's looking for her brother, Todd, who's Obsidian. And they're like, oh, they're at this, you know, uh, I can't what you would call it. It's for like kids who get in trouble kind of the a deal. The Helix Institute uh, for Youth Rehab. Yes. So they're like, oh, I wonder why she's there. She goes and she's she's ended up like uh, putting herself in looking for Todd and they end up seeing her and she's like, oh, like, you know, family's everything. And that kind of like maybe heals like Courtney and Pat a little bit. And she's well, like, we get okay. the, the bit where uh, Jenny Green Lantern Jade has mm-hmm. been like lighting all these fires around town. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is where she's just they she kind of reveals to them that she's been dealing with the frustrations of trying to find her brother and she's been lashing out and having troubles controlling her powers and everything else like that. Yes. So Pat, once again, helps her control it. So he's like, well, can you come and help, uh, uh, you know, put the, 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 the diamond back together? And you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll come. I'm sorry I ever left kind of a deal. I should have stayed. And you're like, no, fam-. that's where Courtney says, like, no, family's everything. You should have went and they kind of, she kind of looks at Pat and I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. But then the nurse in the old timey, like, you know, nurse's uniform calls somebody and says, um, you know, no, she's leaving. Um, I don't think they're coming back because they don't think Todd is here. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who she's calling. And she said the name and I didn't recognize it. Okay. Okay. So first of all, you say old timey nurse outfits. Mm-hmm. Was it me or did those nurse outfits look like? Per Degaton's outfit from the comics. No, the gr- the black and orange. Okay. And who does she call on the phone? She calls Mr. Bones. Does she say Mr. Bones? Yes. Oh, I thought she said a name. I couldn't hear No, it. as someone who watches TV with the subtitles on, she mm-hmm. says Mr. Bones. Oh, that's fantastic. If we get Mr. Bones, oh, my copy of Mr. Bones is going to be worth $1,000. Um, so she's like, yeah, we don't have to worry about them. Um, and they they go back, uh, to the JSA headquarters and they're going to put the, uh, diamond together. Now I have to cut back to, uh, Courtney's house where Barbara is with the shade and he's telling bit more of his origin kind of a deal that wh- the reason he likes Barbara's cause it reminds me of his sister. He's having delusions and everything. And we get, you know, a little bit more and, uh, Beth gets through to Dr. Midnight, who's in the shadow realms. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, uh, there's a supervillain here, Shade. He's like, no, he didn't kill me. He helped me. I don't think he was ever, you know, into killing us. But I got sucked into the, sh- the shadow realm. And she's like, oh, well, could you unlock these classified files on Eclipso? Maybe they could help us. And she ends up finding out at the same time that they're trying to put the gem back together that if they put the gem back together eclipso can come like fully out of the shadow realm or whatever and then he'll have the gem and he you know won't need to possess anybody kind of a thing and they try to you know stop them but it doesn't they put the gem back together eclipso gets the gem uh courtney tries to stop him with the staff but he ends up banishing her to the shadow realm a, a the same way he did uh Art- not artemis uh Cindy? Was it Cindy? So yeah, and then the shade wakes up. It was all a ploy 
by him so he could open up the shadow realm so he could get his powers back and heal. So like we're not sure on where Shade is, and that's where we're left for next issue episode. Should have seen it coming that Shade was going to betray everyone. Right, but I think he didn't want to betray them. He just didn't want to die. Right. So, um, so we only have three episodes left for sure. Right. Uh, the episode that's airing as we record, and then two more after that. Right. And then the season's over. I really think, um, you know, obviously as we end everything back around. Um, I really think it's going to be Obsidian Todd Rice is the one that ends up taking down uh, uh, Eclipso. There's a lot of shadow powers floating around in this in this show. There certainly is a lot of shadow powers. Right. But I like the episode. Um, you know, uh, kind of a bit of a cliffhangery thing, at least for most of the characters, thinking that Courtney is dead. But we as the watchers of the show through Beth know that She's probably just in the shadow realm and is probably okay. Getting her out of the shadow realm is another kettle of fish. Right. Hopefully we can get Dr. Midnight out too. Right. And whoever else might be trapped in there that we don't know of. Right. Okay. So let's move on to Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. As we laugh, let, last left the le- Legends, they re- uh, stopped the Z- Zagaron invasion. Yeah. So they're the, heading back. Oh, is that? The Zygons, yes. Zygons, my apologies. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say Zygons, a Doctor Who villain, but go oh, ahead. Oh, no, why are you doing this to me? Right. I just assume, I'm like, oh, the notes that I wrote off the subtitles are wrong. <laughs> right. Again, I watch everything with subtitles on. Uh, so as they're about to go back into the Wave Rider, another Wave Rider shows up and blows up their Wave Rider. Mm-hmm. So now they're lamenting that they're going to be stuck in 1925 without a way to get home. Uh, with the pieces of the Wave Rider all strewn about. Um, Well, we'll get to it. We'll save, like, the B story for later, right? Sure, however you want to do it. You're in charge of this one. Yep, yep. So Ava remembers that there would always be a fail-safe lockbox inside of the Wave Rider, which would have important stuff uh, that they needed just in case something went wrong with the Wave Rider. Um. So with the explosion of the Wave Rider, the uh, was the nosy preacher had come by looking mm-hmm. around for Spooner's mother. They kind of shush him away. Uh, but that doesn't work because he took the lockbox with him back to the authorities. The local sheriff, Nate, pretends to be J. Edgar Hoover. Right. To go and get the lockbox from him. They bring the lockbox back. And the lockbox has a note from Mick uh, in there saying that he used the stuff in there to go on a beer run, uh, but a baggie of um, uh, Barad's laced or uh, uh, weed gummies are in there. They're the only other thing in there besides the note, right? Right. And uh, the handbook, not the uh, handbook for the recently deceased. But the uh, time, uh, and again, I don't want to say bandits, but the Time Authority handbook is in there. Right, Time Bureau. Time Bureau uh, in there. And so Ava is going through everything, trying to figure out what it could be uh, to help them figure things out. And that is when they come upon Rule 44. Yes, my favorite rule in the history of anything. Where anytime you're trapped in time... Uh, you could resolve the issue by putting on a circus. Yes, a diversion. Um, and because no one ever questions a circus, Joe. Right. 
So they go to town and they're in their circus garb that they used from bed sheets and uh, curtains and so forth from Spooner's mother's house. And this is their way to explain like, oh, this is why there was all the crazy lights. And this is why you saw like those weird alien looking things. They were really Komodo dragons, 1925 <laughs> people. Um, right. And then, of course, one of the people asks, when is the circus? And they asked the wrong person in Gary. <laughs> right. So Gary's like, uh, tonight. So now they're like, well, we got to have a circus tonight because Gary told everyone in town that we're going to have a circus tonight. However, a bigger issue shows up in that the actual J. Edgar Hoover comes to town. And now he's hot on the tale of the legends. Not the legends, though, but thinking that they are the Midland gang. Right. Who are a group of bank robbers that have been going around. Um, they stash themselves out at Spooner's mother's house. Uh, they use a key that they found to open up a door in the room that takes them to a pocket dimension that looks like John's mansion, which may or may not be in hell. Right, which was a key from John he gave them as a gift. So. Oh, that's right. Yep. Uh, so as they're like, okay, we, we, we went here to get away from things, but we have to go back. Um, we do have to um, return, but Zari decides to stay as she still needs to deal with John leaving her. Yes. Uh, so they come back. And they decide, the legends, primarily Ava uh, and Sarah decide, okay, uh, we, so we need to do this to get away from J. Edgar Hoover. We need to go to New York because there's a doctor there, a Dr. Gwyn Davies in New York. And if we get to him, he's an early person in time travel we could get him to assist us in figuring out how to figure out our time travel problem and go from there. Right. To do so, we're going to become the Midland gang. Mm -hmm. uh, they stage a thing where they had tied up Spooner and her mother. Uh, Astra is bedridden. We'll get to her thing because that's the B story when we're all said and done here. Uh, they go to the local bank. And they're going to rob just $932 because Ava figured it out. That's just enough to get them from where they are in Texas to New York. Because Without, they have to, like, they could do this stuff, but they have to leave small footprints. Right. And they're going to come back and fix everything because, right. you know. And they have to take notes of everything that they did so that they can come back and fix everything once they get the time travel stuff taken care of. Right. Uh, so, uh, a woman... Uh, comes up to uh, Nate and Barad who are standing guard outside and uh, is, she's like apparently like a, uh, a a bank robber groupie that she knows things because they're like oh yeah we're the Midland gang she's looking at them like no you're not the Midland gang they didn't have two women or whatever it was so then they're trying to think of a name for what their gang would be and they decide on the bullet blondes bullet blondes yes the bullet yep. blondes they only say it like 75 times, which is fantastic. Not the bullet boys either. Uh, so they get away. The entire town is like, yay, thank you very much for robbing us, I guess. And as they're about to make it out of town, J. Edgar Hoover has a roadblock set up for them. An unstoppable uh, roadblock, Joe. What was that? 
an unstoppable roadblock, one sawhorse. Well, in 1925, that was unstoppable. Yep. Uh, so the only way that they can get through it is Nate takes over driving so they could do their wonderful mwah, uh, CGI for Nate going full steel while they're shooting at them and the, the things just kind of bounce off them, you know? Mm-hmm. So they get through. Uh, but what's the word that they keep saying about uh, J. Edgar Hoover, that he's unrelenting? Yes, it's not unrelenting, but it, that's close. But yeah. it made me laugh. And he's on so, the roof. He's on the roof of their car. They slam on the brakes. He goes flying. They're like, oh, my God, we killed J. Edgar Hoover. They go over and they check on him. He's not dead. But he immediately pulls out a gun to shoot Nate in the face. Nate, with quick goat thinking, turns to steal. <laughs> And the bullet ricochets back, shoots J. Edgar Hoover in the head. Now they actually did kill J. Edgar Hoover. But Gary's going to put it on the list of things to fix, Joe. Well, not before Ava decides, okay, we've just killed J. Edgar Hoover. All bets are off. We're just going to do whatever we have to do to fix this. Mm-hmm. Gary, eat J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. she gets the thought from her uh, true crime podcast that she listens to, right? Mm-hmm. That no one was here to see J. Edgar Hoover die, even though, didn't he have, like, a couple men with them down the road from the roadblock? Yeah, but they wouldn't have seen him die. Okay. They got away, you know? Hmm. I would assume that if J. Edgar Hoover jumped on the roof of this car, that they would probably be following behind, at least on foot, to see what happened to their boss. Uh, you, you never know. Some flaws in this plan. What? <laughs> so Gary eats J. Edgar Hoover's body to dispose of the evidence. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though uh, Ava's gone off the reservation regarding all of this. That's your main A story in all of this. Mm-hmm. B story uh, is Astra, who is being taught by John before John left on how to harness magic and everything else like that. She attempts to use what little magic powers that she has to reform the Wave Rider back together. Uh, it fails and it kind of messes her up pretty bad. Um, and she's kind of bedridden for a little bit. That's why she stays behind on the adventure. Uh, she goes out and kind of looking at the wreckage of everything there. Her and Spooner share a moment of lament. And, uh, you know, they kind of just say, talking about everything that's been going on with uh, the legends. And Astra says, you know, I really wish Gideon was here at least. And just a little bit of magic uh, makes Gideon appear in human form as we end the episode. Right. Sans clothes. But uh, good to see Gideon getting some respect. Mm-hmm. Now, I will, I, the, only, the only other remark that I have to say is, uh, you know, just looking at my notes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I pull up the IMDB page. Don't go look at the casting for who's playing Dr. Gwyn Davies. Okay. If you, if, you, if you already know, then you already know. Uh, but the fact that it's in the IMDb and it just says credit only because he's not in the episode. They only say his name. Right. Uh, but I don't know if his name is in the credits. So hopefully you miss that because like I said, it's a pretty big spoiler. Okay. I have no idea to tell you the truth. You'll know what you, you, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to miss it when you see it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's the legend tomorrow, baby. I'm glad they're back. I love that show. I do too. So last but not least, uh, with a little bit of sad news, everyone. Uh, Why the Last Man, which we've been enjoying. Uh, it was announced over the weekend uh, that season two was not picked up 
by FX on Hulu, which is the name of the official station that it's on, apparently. Right. Um, the showrunner, Eliza Clark, uh, came out and said that there's still so much more to tell. Um, so on and so forth. We don't want it to end. And they said that they are going to attempt to shop around season two to another network. Right. Sadly, if it's not being carried further, I can't see another station sadly picking it up. I hope they do. I do too, but I think this is the end, my friend. Yeah, it's a bummer. But let's get into this episode, which is a non uh, Yorick episode. They mention him once in a little bit of a story, but that's about it. Uh, this is more about Roxanne, who's in charge of the group of women at the not Costco. Right, not the Walmart deal. Uh, right. And then so we get information here about how she is keeping the group close and small and tight knit. And she, Roxanne, tells Nora that now that Mackenzie has been healed, uh, they are no longer going to be welcome there. Right. So she's going to give them a couple days to get their stuff together, but they need to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, while all this is going on, we're getting flashbacks, uh, kind of out of order, I assume, um, you know, kind of to give you some of the pieces of how Roxanne got to be here. But uh, suffice to say that Roxanne is living a lie. Yep. Um, you know, we get the things from a couple weeks ago where she tells Hero that with the world changing in the way that it has, you could be anything that you want to be. And that's technically what we get from Roxanne, who carries herself as though she's been an 11 year detective psychoanalyzing everyone that she's essentially just gotten from box sets of law and order that she's been <laughs> kifing from <laughs> price max. Yep. Um, and I'll say this, um, you know, as shady and as bad as it is, when you get to see all the pieces that of everything that Roxanne puts together of how she kind of, you know, puts everything into place, how, all the women that are there are from the women's shelter. She's been look, watching them, trying to figure out, because the horse shows up. She follows the horse back to where they are. She keeps an eye on them. She gets the guns and starts shooting up in the air. They all freak out, find the price max, and she brings them in, essentially saying like, well, hey, listen, you know, you guys all had like, you know, who knows what men are still alive. Maybe one of your boyfriends or husbands are still out there. Maybe they're the ones that shot at you. I think it's just better that you stay safe here. And obviously it's kind of portraying her wanting to be in a position of authority, a position of power, and that sort of thing. Well, during all of this, of course, um, Nora, who has been a political age, she's been in the Washington system and so on and so forth. She's really trying to convince Hero and Sam to align with her, to go to Washington. She's like, listen, if I show up with you, Hero, the president's daughter, they're going to let me in. And I can guarantee you guys that I'm going to be able to let you in. And Hero doesn't really want to deal with their mother because of the relationship that they have. This causes strife and tension between Hero and Sam. Sam ends up leaving. Uh, that gets painted, uh, you know, very differently by Roxanne. Uh, but in all of her lamenting regarding having to leave Nora walks outside the perimeter. Uh, and this is just like a perfect, 
I lose a little bit here mm -hmm. in that we got the bit of Roxanne trying to get rid of the police car. Yep. And she can't get it to go all the way into the river, so it's just kind of sticking out. But she knocks the the light off the top. One would assume time differences that that light would have floated away or something weeks ago or days ago or something. Mm -hmm. But there's a big giant vulture that's floating by on it or sees where it came from, sees the car, fishing around the car, and we see her grab something out of the car, the right. police car. And this is where... Nora comes back to Roxanne and says, listen, I know the truth. I know who you really are. Flashes whatever it is that she sees there. And this is where we get the flashback that Roxanne was just an assistant manager at said Price Max, Costco, whatever it was, having issues with her employees, having issues with her boss. Um, her husband had just left her and all those sort of things. And... Nora essentially says, I'm holding this over you. You want power. Now I have power over you. I keep my mouth shut. You let us stay, me and my daughter. We get first crack at all the food. Uh, because prior to this, once Nora has this information, all the other women have this big celebration, this big party, this big bonfire outside, and they leave the fire burning. Nora sets it up to burn the Costco down. To kind of eliminate some of the supplies, which I think was a bad move. I think she should have shown the power that she has over Roxanne first and then maybe. But obviously the opportunity presented herself. She acted irrationally. But now Nora has this power over Roxanne, which is her old assistant manager badge from the uh, Price Max Costco. Uh, Roxanne gives this big rallying cry to get all the women together to be the new Amazons, and we end the episode. I like this episode. I like this episode a lot, but I'm going to just go back on a couple. I'm with you on the lights on the car floating by. That was kind of stupid. It was but, It was too coincidental. Right. Um, but I will say this. On your thing with Nora not using the, the power over before she lit it on fire... Yeah. Is it all makes sense because Roxanne, she only wants Hero and the girls from the home because they're damaged and like you know, kind of a deal. They're they've been abused. She can exploit that. Nora, she can exploit. So Nora knows I'm out regardless, and she goes, Well, I'm gonna take away not only does she have the power over them because they've been abused, but she has the supply. She's like, well, I'm going to be gone regardless. She's throwing me out. If she ends up burning it down and it turns everybody against everybody, because who burned it down? Like, this is our last hope. You should have put out the fire and it all comes apart. And she, that's when she uses the, the thing is like, Hey, you don't have the, the leverage anymore, but I used to work in government and I know it'll work. Now I'm indispensable. It With the supplies, she's not indispensable, if you get what I mean. So she right. wasn't going to have access to that food anyway. So what she did is really, really, really smart. And that party that they have was, was crazy. The way they directed it was fantastic. I really like this episode and I'm kind of sad um, that we're probably not going to get any more. Mm-hmm. Other than the couple episodes we have left. 
Yeah, but it's it's still an enjoyable show. Watch it while you can. Hopefully, it gets picked up somewhere, but uh, highly unlikely. I agree. So that's it. That was a full show, I'd say. Yes, it was. Uh, so that was uh, episode 577 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.